Um, the story of Advent, you guys, uh, it begins with this thing we call the Annunciation. When the angel Gabriel told Mary that she would become pregnant with the savior of the world. And uh, it's so appropriate because the word Advent means arrival. And this is the season when we wait for Christ's arrival, where we stand with those who waited uh, uh, for his first arrival and where we also await the second. And, and pregnancy is a season of expectation. That's why a mother is said to be expectant. That means she's got something cooking and she's patiently waiting for that timer to go off. Well, we're, we're, we're all well familiar with Gabriel's announcement to Mary, and next week we'll get a closer look at this and, and what she must have been feeling. But, but we know that she pondered that moment. She pondered that message in her heart um, and, uh, for, for a while. And eventually, she wrote a song about all the things that she pondered. Do you know Mary was a songwriter? It's easy to overlook this. I wonder if sometimes we as Protestants, when we think about Mary, we're almost like, well, you know, the Catholics really venerate Mary, and so we, I don't know, like we don't want to honor her or something. Mary is an unbelievable woman, and she wrote this song, and the song is called The Magnificat, and it comes in Luke 1, verses 46 to 55. Now, I'm, cho- I'm choosing to read this out of the message uh, from the good folks at NAF Press, um, and uh, so here is the way Eugene Peterson translated the Magnificat. Are you ready for this? My soul magnifies the Lord. Oh, wait a minute. Do we have that? We don't? Okay, you know what? I'm just going to read it instead out of the ESV. How about that? All right. My soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. Mary was a young teenager. Those are some, those are some profound thoughts. Mary is anticipating a grand reversal that will happen. She understood something about what her offspring would do after he was born and, and uh, uh, proceeded with his mission. Jesus Christ in his kingdom, the last will be first. There's a great reversal. The last will be first. Mary understood that even before Jesus was born. The last will be first. They aren't first yet, but they will be. Now, how does Mary know this is true? Because she's one of the last. Mary is a young girl. She, she's unmarried. 
She, she's going to have to suffer here through whispers and accusations and snide comments about being an unwed teen mother. You think that's a thing now? In this society, this would have been a tremendous burden and a tremendous source of gossip and something that would have thrown her to the outskirts. And even if that wasn't the case, she's already a part of an oppressed nation of people in the backwater corner of a grand empire that does not care for them. Mary is excited that the first will be last and the last will be first. She's very excited about that because she's been part of the last. She gets it. And so she looks forward to that day. She rejoices because God chose her. God chose her. And even though she's going to have to go through a whole lot of junk, she still trusts God. She still rejoices because of what will happen. Are you with me? The last are not first yet, friends, are they? But they will be. Who, who are the last? The last are the overlooked, the forgotten, the stranger, the widow, the orphan, the disabled, the axed members of society. Jesus will champion them, Mary says, and she's excited about that. And I think we should be excited about that too. You guys, we don't have all the justice that she's calling for yet. We don't have all the healing. Healing is a matter of, uh, of justice, isn't it? Of something that was broken, something that should not be, but being restored. We don't have all of that yet, do we? We don't have all the answers to prayer yet, do we? But we will. One day we will. And that's why in this season of Advent, in this season of anticipation, we relate to people like Mary who are waiting on that timer. She's waiting for the timer. They were waiting for Jesus' first coming. We await his second coming. We, we link arms with our spiritual ancestors and say, come, Lord Jesus. And while we wait, we don't just sit here. You know, I've said this before. Waiting without expectation. We have a word for that in the English language. You know what it is? <laughs> Loitering. <laughs> waiting with anticipation is loitering. That's all it is. But if you're waiting and not actually anticipating anything, not moving toward anything, you are like a kid walking around the mall for hours a day trying to pick a fight with people who walk too close to him. That was a throwback to an old sermon. <laughs> Happened to me. It's walking into a CD store, and a guy turns around, you're walking too close to me. It was in the age of new kids on the block, so everybody was talking like that and doing that kind of stuff. Yeah, good times. You're loitering if you're not waiting with anticipation. We wait, and we wait, and we expect while we're waiting. We wait with hope, like Joshua talked about last week. We wait believing that one day all will be well at Christ's return. And we also wait with peace, like the candle we lit this morning. Peace is not the absence of conflict, is it? But rather a sense of wholeness, even in the midst of conflict. Even if we don't have shalom right now, we get to borrow shalom from tomorrow and bring it here today. 
all shall be well, all shall be well, and all manner of things shall be well, as Julian of Norwich said. And because all shall be well in the future, we can confidently say today, it is well with my soul. That is the tension of Advent, you guys. We hold on to hope, we hold on to peace, and we hold on to joy, which is the candle we'll light next week. We light a candle for the joy that comes in the morning after all the weeping in the night. Together we stand in expectation. We know, we know that God is going to do something. We know Christ will come and make all things new. In the meantime, who knows what God might do? You know what he might do? Surprise you? Have you ever been surprised by God? I've been surprised by God. This year, I have been surprised big time by God in a way I never dreamed. And I could tell you about it, but sometimes you have to see a thing to understand it. So I got a video for you. Can we hit that and get the lights? This is my son, Jack. And we've got a story to tell. I think you're going to want to sit down for this. If you followed our journey for very long, you already know that Jack was diagnosed with autism at age three, along with a host of comorbid conditions, such as seizures and high anxiety, uh, severe obsessive compulsive disorder, and an intellectual disability, which means cognitive impairment. So it's been a roller coaster journey for us as a family. We've sought to include him in all the stuff that we do, but we've always longed to know what's going on in his head. And we only got glimpses. We got waves of progress and then regression. Well, Jack is 17 now, and, and our greatest desire as a family has always been to know him, to know what's going on in his head. But after so many false starts, including a brief burst of text messaging two years ago, I started to let that desire go. In fact, I preached a sermon saying that presence is better than language. There were no words, but I was okay with that, you know? And most of my life, I haven't been okay with that. Most of my life with him, I haven't been okay with that. But I think I'm more okay with that now. You know why? Because I got something better. Presence. I meant every word. But just hours after I preached that sermon, something happened and our lives changed. I watched a documentary called Spellers. It was about eight different young people who were much like Jack with similar diagnoses and were unable to speak. But every single one of these young people had learned to communicate by using these large boards with letters cut out. I have heard of these kinds of cases before. I'd seen people able to communicate fluently, but I always assumed they were outliers. The documentary made an audacious claim that no, they weren't outliers. They maintain that for people like Jack, there's no intellectual disability, but rather a brain-body disconnect called apraxia, which cripples a person's fine motor skills uh, and makes communication nearly impossible. 
They said that if you trained a person's motor skills, then you could learn to overcome that brain-body disconnect and learn to communicate independently. My wife and I wept through that documentary. And by the end of it, she was already setting up an appointment with practitioners in our state. The next week, Jack had his first appointment. And when he met his practitioner, she looked him in the eye and said this, I know you're smart. I know you've been listening and watching everything for the past 17 years, and I know it's all in there. But your body's not your friend, so we're gonna train your body so you can spell for me. I wasn't sure I could believe that. Could it be that after all these years, we've been wrong about Jack? That he's not intellectually disabled? Could he actually be as smart as his peers? Well, they started doing all these lessons where they'd read to him about real subjects, all age-appropriate lessons that I immediately thought were just too advanced for him. And then they'd ask him questions about what he had just read. And he would spell out the answers on, on these letter boards, just with a, a pencil, just pushing it right, right through the letters. Now, he struggled at first, and he, he had to get tons of coaching, even directing him to the letters. His practitioner would say, over more, over more. And, and I was skeptical, because I'm like, okay, what are you proving? But she would tell me over and over again, we know he knows the answer already. I wasn't sure I could believe that, but I loved the way they were presuming competence. In fact, that was the entire mantra, presume competence, always presume competence. Now, I knew Jack could read, and I knew that he was listening some of the time, so I thought I was presuming competence, but all of this still seemed like a bit of a stretch. But then, on July 27th of this year, his practitioner threw out a question to test his prior knowledge. She asked him, who coined the term Iron Curtain? I watched as he went for a W, and then an I, and then an N, and then an S, a T, an O, and Winston, he spelled, and then Churchill. Winston Churchill coined the term Iron Curtain. That was the right answer. That same morning, she asked him about Galileo. Where was Galileo born? Italy. And what did he prove with his invention, the telescope? He proved that the Earth orbits the sun. My mind was blown. How did he know this? Well, in subsequent weeks, we discovered that Jack knows a lot of things. What was Virgil's masterpiece? The Aeneid. What was Hamlet's most famous line? To be or not to be, that is the question. Can you calculate the area of Stonehenge and show your work? Yes, 7,850 meters. In your own words, tell me what a patent is. A patent is a form of protection that manufacturers use to keep their goods safe from competitors. Who was the fifth president? James Monroe. Who was the sixth president? John Quincy Adams. Seventh president. Andrew Jackson. Eighth president. Martin Van Buren. Ninth. William Henry Harrison. Thirty-fifth. John F. Kennedy. Fortieth. Ronald Reagan. What did Ronald Reagan say to Gorbachev in Berlin?
tear down. T and H and I and this W and A and L and L. And that's what we got it. This boy, this young man, he's been watching and listening to everything he's seen and heard, but he's not been able to tell us. For 17 years, he's been stuck in his head. Not only is he not cognitively impaired, Jack might be the smartest person I know. In the months since then, we've continued to spell with Jack every day. Sarah and I, uh, during the weekday, and then I'm going on Fridays to see his practitioner. And we're constantly helping him improve in his confidence and his accuracy, his muscle memory, basic fundamentals of movement, starting from boards with big letters to a single board with all 26, from known questions to prior knowledge questions to eventually to open questions which he has to come up with his own answers to. Open questions are the great prize for all of us because they allow him to finally let us into his head after all these years. Most importantly, they, they set his thoughts free. Now, they told us at first it would probably be a year, maybe even two, before Jack reached open communication. But he was ready. If there's one thing you want the world to know about Jack Hegg, what is it? That I am smart. If you had a motto, what would it be? Always cheerful. If you had your own festival, what would it be called? The Festival of Happiness. That focus on cheerfulness and happiness is incredible, considering what Jack told us that he's going through. I am so mad with my body. I am in a state of assault all day and night, each and every day and night. I keep hoping for a cure soon. I like it when my parents tell me that they love me despite my body not showing it. I shall make them proud one day. I asked Jack if he had any message for the church that he would like to write, a little letter, and he said yes. This is what he said. Ready? Dear church elders, I need sensory input from singing every service. Songs I like are the ones about Christ's love for us. I must answer to God about celebrating every day despite my autistic body. I am talking to you through spelling, which is perhaps the best thing that has taken place in my life. I am one of the axed people in society because my body does abnormal things my brain tells it not to. Thank you for believing that I can do a lot of things, even if I am talking to you through a letter board. Guys, I can't tell you how proud of him that we are. All of this is so brand new. It literally happened weeks ago. And this boy's future is bright. 
and we can't wait to see what God has for him. But I'll tell you, his attitude has preached to me. The more that we've understood what's going on in this guy's body, the more we've understood just how much is trapped in there to see that he has chosen to be cheerful and that he's chosen to celebrate even in the midst of it. Friends, that is Advent. That is Advent. Celebrating in the midst of the waiting, celebrating in the midst of the pain, choosing to believe in the goodness of God, choosing to believe that Christ one day will make all things new. And in the meantime, he's gonna have some pretty great things for us. This is Jack. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you can say. Yeah. Oh. Well, uh, it was just about a year ago that <laughs> sit down and be professional. <laughs> <laughs> that uh, he would all, the communion trays would always go by him, and it was about a year ago he reached and he grabbed that communion tray. And I always wondered why, like, did he get it? But this is a young man that wants to celebrate even in the midst of dealing with his body. And I'm so proud of him. I'm so proud of him. So let's pray. <laughs> How am I supposed to pray? I don't know. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. 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 We love you guys. Thank you for walking this journey with us. Thank you for, thank you for being kind to him. Even long before we knew. Thank you. Thank you for loving him well. And I know that you'll continue that. All right. Be blessed. We love you guys.